Welcome to this episode of the This is Believeland Real Browns Fans Podcast. I am your host, James Mastrucci. Jordan could not be with me today, but I am joined by a guest, and it is Connor Miles, who covers the Eagles for the Eagle Maven of Sports Illustrated and is also the co-host of the Eagles Unfiltered Podcast. Connor, how are you doing today? Good, James. I appreciate you having me on again. It's good to talk to you again. Uh, we, I think we did this, what, a year ago? Yeah, just about a year ago, to... you know, when the yes. when there was no sports going on. <laughs> so it's good, it's good to be uh, back with uh, talking to you again about sports. Yeah, and, you know, football season's just around the corner. I mean, everyone's got their countdowns going on. And, you know, looking at teams that had tons of change, the Eagles are an obvious team because <laughs> a lot of changes uh, have happened. Uh, Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz out Nick Sirianni, Jalen Hurts in. Can you uh, yeah. can you break that down for me a little bit? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's really impossible for all of us to break it down. We're all so surprised that everything happened in Philadelphia the way it went. But, uh, you know, Jeffrey Lurie is the type of owner that when something looks like it's broken, uh, he doesn't want to waste time fixing it. I do always felt that way. Uh, just dating back to like 2011 when the Reed era was over to him and he still gave him a second chance to the how long of a relationship they had but uh this isn't he's not really into second chances that much so uh this is interesting that you know this is what it is now this is uh a new regime really they thought that Doug Peterson couldn't be a coach anymore which I mean I honestly I think it was time I think it was time I think we all agree that it was time mm-hmm. uh but the Carson Wentz situation was just insane. I mean, the guy went from signing a huge extension with the team, huge money deal, uh, the future of the team to wanting out completely and wanting to even return to the team. Uh, according to sources that talked to Eagle Maven and all of us here, uh, if even if Frank Reich was the Eagles head coach, he wanted out. So that's how badly it went from signing a $134 million deal to then demanding to be traded not the man to be traded, but the uh, whole he was because it was a mutual party. Yeah. You no, know, Howie Roseman really did like Jalen Hurts. There was a point in time where uh, Carson looked like the worst for a quarterback in football, mm-hmm. and they wanted to see what they had in Jalen Hurts because Howie Roseman thought it wasn't that he thought he was the next Russell Wilson per se. It was that he thought he was special, and yeah. they thought Russell Wilson was special when they evaluated him, and that's what they thought about uh, Carson Wentz, and then they also thought that about Jalen Hurts. So it was time really the point where everything looked like it was failing. They knew probably midway through the season that this is going to be it for Doug, uh, that they were going to move on from Doug. And they decided to go with uh, Jalen Hurts as quarterback, obviously. Mm-hmm. So that it, the crazy part is in all of this is that he uh, – Carson Wentz really, instead of responding to the competition, he kind of said, you know what, this isn't for me. Philadelphia's not for me. Uh, I want out with – everything they done i mean they committed to him through after the super bowl season when nick Foles won the super bowl uh there was no question who was the quarterback for this team still it was going to be carson Wentz, and yet all through all of that loyalty through all the money and the extension uh all it took was one bad play from uh excuse me a stretch of bad play from him for them to decide that hey we're going to move on uh to jalen hurts and then for him to think or at least uh, at least start Jalen Hurts just to make it uh, a little bit better. But then they then it turns around and Carson goes, you know, I, I want out. I'm not going to put up with that. Uh, crazy. I mean, you know, I, I, I like Carson once. I think he's going to uh, work out in Indy because of uh, 
the connection he has with Frank Reich and understanding who not only the player is on the field or off the field as well. Uh, but now it's it, it's just like, wow, he really kind of, you know, befundled Eagles fans. You know, Eagles fans thought this is going to be it. You know, they haven't had we haven't had the franchise quarterback since uh, Donovan McNabb. And then you see this happen with Carson Wentz, who was supposed to be the guy. And uh, insane, absolutely insane. So uh, as of right now, they're going to see what's, what's up with Jalen Hurts. Uh, but keep an eye on, obviously, the Sean Watson situation as well because, uh, as my colleague John McMullen reports at Eagle Maven, it, it, it's officially on. Mm-hmm. If he's cleared of all this and he's eligible to play this season, the Eagles are going to be huge contenders in trying to get him. And uh, that extra first-round pick from Miami and the ammo the Colts gave the Eagles uh, in the Carson Wentz trade is going to help them, propel them, probably to make that deal done. So it is the Joe and Hurts era for now. Uh, but if Deshaun Watson situation is resolved soon or whenever it does resolve, the Eagles will be players in on that, regardless what Eagles fans want or not. Because uh, in the Eagles' eyes, you know, they do think Jalen Hurts is special. Uh, they would not be bad. They would not. They wouldn't. Be, they would not be against going to him as the long-term future starter if he proves it to be that is that he can be that. Uh, but to, in their eyes, Deshaun Watson would be an upgrade. And you can't pass on a top five talent quarterback when he's available uh, in the Eagles situation. So uh, they would make the whole entire play for Deshaun Watson if he's available. I would expect actually the Eagles to acquire him if it does come to happen because the Texans aren't going to be wanting to acquire players. They're going to be looking for picks, and that's what the Eagles can give them. So would Jalen Hurts be part of that package that would go to Houston in this hypothetical deal? I mean, because looking at the Texans and their rebuild timeline and someone who needs time to kind of, you know, develop and needs some time to be part of a a rebuild effort, it seems like Hurts would match that timeline. So looking at what Philly's trying to do, getting Watson to speed up their own kind of retool and putting Hurts in that rebuild situation would kind of match timeline-wise. Yeah, absolutely. But not not only that, uh, I don't think he would – he would have to earn his spot there too – or else they could either go to the draft or they like Davis Mills a lot. Mm-hmm. I know that I know they're big fans of Davis Mills, the third round draft pick. They just had a quarterback, so but that doesn't exclude them from bringing in Jalen Hurts, a guy like Jalen Hurts. So Jalen yeah. Hurts and Davis Mills quarterback room, yes, makes complete sense. But uh, again, he would still have to earn his job there, unless or the Texans would be going in a different direction. But we all know Deshaun Watson wants out. He's never going to play in Houston again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's either going to be Philadelphia or Miami that ends up getting him. I would assume. Uh, so we'll see how this turns out. But the, if if Deshaun Watson was cleared tomorrow, uh, the the Eagles would be on the phone with Houston the next day. So that that that's I mean, uh, they do want to see what Jalen Hurts has to offer. They're fine with pivoting to him and seeing how it goes with that. They they really do like the kid. But uh, like I said, once in a blue moon does Deshaun Watson become available? Uh, they have to make that move there, and they they 100 from every everything we heard inside the building will do so. I think it's kind of funny that uh, both. Uh... Philly and Miami are involved in this potential Deshaun Watson trade, and the quarterbacks that would be moving from those respective teams used to be teammates in Alabama. I kind of find that yeah. funny. <laughs> it is it's such a small world in the world of football. Yeah. So what it sounds like, just to kind of wrap up uh, this part of the Carson Wentz conversation, it sounds like to me that the it was a, a full organizational thing that Carson Wentz wasn't happy with. It wasn't just a Doug Peterson issue. It wasn't just... A general manager issue it seems like he was just unhappy with the whole thing is that correct well it was you know it was a more high roseman issue than anything um you know car the way that carson Wentz probably perceives himself whereas 
the NFL does mm-hmm. is different. Yeah. Um, he felt disrespected by the Joan Hurts pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was not really made known of the Joan Hurts pick until the day of the draft. So ever since then, because uh, all they said was, hey, this could be a possibility. So ever since then, he just doesn't have faith. He didn't have faith in his organization, in his front office, to put him in the best position to win. And after you have that feeling creep into your head uh, as a professional athlete, you usually try to switch the situation up and leave. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was more of a uh, – I, I, Doug Peterson's offense was completely shot to death. Uh, he proved that he was a coach that needs to have – guys around him to help build him up like a Frank Reich and John D. Filippo did during that Super Bowl season. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he didn't have strong counterparts like that going forward, that is the reason why the Eagles and his tenure as a head coach faltered. And then I thought, well, knew that, or else he would have got a job right away. Yeah. Because, I mean, he was a Super Bowl winning head coach, but I mean, uh, it, those accolades don't matter when there's context to be added. In the NFL world, there's uh, the media and the hot take side, we don't add context to stuff. Mm-hmm. In football, they do. And and there's a reason why he doesn't have another job right now. It's because they know that they, he's a coach that needs a collaborative effort. And mm-hmm. he's too stubborn to realize that right now. Maybe this year off will help him realize that. But uh, Carson didn't have issue with Doug. Uh, he just didn't trust his general manager to put him in the best position to succeed as a career, in his longevity of his career. And now he believes in that he's in that situation with Chris Bowden and Frank Wright that they'll do so. So uh, it, it was a mutual party. Car- I know Carson didn't demand a trade, but he wanted to trade, and the Eagles held the door open for him on his way out. Yeah. Uh, so that's really just how it went. Both wanted to part ways. Uh, buyers are more so on his contract extension. And, I mean, look, he looked like the worst football. He looked like the worst quarterback in football last year. He Say all the excuses you want about the Eagles' offensive line, the Eagles' wide receivers, but in a clean pocket last year, he had the worst passer in the NFL. That's That's on him. Yeah, so, that's, uh, that's hope, an issue. <laughs> so we'll see if Frank Wright can get him fixed. I believe he can, but uh, I think you know the harsh reality of that Eagles fans had to end up facing was Carson Wentz wasn't the player or person they thought he was, and mm-hmm. uh, you know most of the NFL world was right. You know, uh, majority it was really fifty-fifty split of is he good, is he bad, and uh, you know I think he just went to go show you he's in between. Yeah, I mean I, I don't think he's as bad as what he looked like last year and I don't think he's no. necessarily as good as this, the early highs in his career. I think he's pretty much exactly. in that middle spot. Uh, but I think being an indie would be a, a great spot for him. You know, Frank Reich seems to have some good things going on there. The Colts seem to be a, a solid franchise right now when uh, right. not too long ago they they were not. So I, I think, you know, the change of scenery going to a place like uh, Indianapolis will be a, a great move for uh, for Wentz. So the thing going his way, I'll just say this real quick. The thing going his way the most that wasn't going his way in Philly is he had to be the guy in Philly, and I don't know if he is capable of always being putting the team on his shoulders every single week in and week out. Mm-hmm. In Indianapolis, I don't believe that will be the case because that defense is really, really a solid unit. Mm-hmm. Their offensive line, you know, the Eagles' offensive line is great, but you know what the Colts' offensive line has that the Eagles' offensive line doesn't is durability. So that's going to help him out a lot with the consistency of having the same offensive lineman in front of him for longevity of time. And then that rushing attack. I mean, it, it, that's going to be a huge crutch for him and mm-hmm. give him a more balanced approach. When you put Carson Wentz in a balanced approach and not ask him to do so much, you're going to get a good Carson Wentz. So yeah. uh, that's I think that's what's going his way is in Indianapolis, he doesn't have to be the guy. In Philadelphia, they he was required for him to be the guy, and it just didn't work out. I mean, and you just look at the the weapons at the skill positions. They're they're significantly better yeah. in Indianapolis than they are in Philadelphia. Yeah. So I mean that that's gonna help him out tremendously. 
Um, the, the one one thing I wanted to, to comment about the Doug Peterson thing in regards to, you know, how things went, you know, he had the collaborative effort, then he had, you know, Nick Foles on the hottest of hot streaks that was lightning in a bottle that you're never going to find again. I, I think all of that kind of led to uh, your guys' Super Bowl win a couple years ago. Absolutely. You know, so, you know, I, I don't, I, it still surprised me that somebody paid Nick Foles that amount of money. Like, I know he's going to get paid. I know he's going to get that amount of money oh, after Jacksonville. that. Jacksonville, yeah. Jacksonville, buyers are more probably like three weeks into that deal. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was rough. And I mean, yeah, I, look, I mean, I know I'm criticizing Doug, but every first Super Bowl winning head coach in Philadelphia Eagles history, mm-hmm. uh, I, obviously I'd be appreciative of him and everything he's done. Quarterback was a specialty. He got great season on Carson Wentz, made some, Nick, Nick Foles a Super Bowl winner underneath him. Like, the guy is a good coach, but uh, he's not as great as he thinks he is. And that was a problem. The only reason why he's not – because the Eagles didn't give him a chance. It's, they gave him a week, and they said, hey, you know, sit back, reflect on this season, realize that there needs to be changes made that uh, require you, you know, relinquishing play calling and some mm-hmm. power and uh, let us pick the guys for you. And we can make this work. And, you know, he went back to that that second meeting with Jeff Lurie. He said, no, I want Press Taylor as offensive coordinator. I want things my way. I, I, giving you guys more control is the reason why we're in this position that we are now. I should be able to do this my own. I'm a Super Bowl head coach, and that's why he ended up being fired. Uh, they couldn't see eye to eye on that. And, you know, he might be right. You know, high Roseman, Jeff Lurie being hands-on with this organization has actually hurt them more than helped them mm-hmm. the last couple of years. So, uh, we'll see who's who was right in all of this because they hired the most unproven rookie head coach of all the candidates hired so far, Nick Sirianni. So uh, we'll see. So it's kind of funny that the way you just described that reminded me of the way that uh, the Raiders fired Hugh Jackson back in the day because uh, that's exactly what happened. He wanted more power. They told him no and hit the road. Get out of here. <laughs> and you know I, the Raiders were right. They yeah, were. They ended up being right, too. So maybe the Eagles were right in, in this situation. But, you know, Doug Peterson was a lot more decorated Suc- than Hugh Jackson at that time. So. A, a lot more successful. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, give, give me a little background on Nick Sirianni. I, I, you, know, you know, a lot of people have a good idea, but, you know, you have uh, more info on Nick Sirianni and his background than I think uh, <laughs> myself or any of uh, my listeners or our listeners do. Of course. Um, you know, the... If you talk to an average Eagles fan now, because after hearing Nick Sirianni, you know, if you listen to his introductory presser where he pretty much got trolled by all of the sports outlets for how much he botched that, yeah, it was rough. Yeah. Uh, definitely a guy who was nervous. And, you know, shame on Jeffrey Lurie for how that thing was assembled because uh, being, being with Sports Illustrated, we're a little privy to the information of the behind-the-scenes uh, mm-hmm. press conferences now. But he just, you know, threw the guy to the dogs uh, and talked for – you know, an hour and 20 minutes and then just let Nick have the last 20 minutes of the presser and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just ruined the whole tone of it. Completely yeah. ruined it. It was hard for a guy to have, I mean, you're sitting there for an hour and 20 minutes listening to the owner talk when you're trying to figure out what you're going to say. I mean, that's just not, that's a recipe for disaster as is. So, uh, they got thrown to the dogs immediately in, the, in one of the toughest markets, uh, media wise. Mm-hmm. And, but lately, you know, He's really starting to catch on with the fan base. He's really starting to catch on with with uh, the beat writers because he's so articulate. Yeah. You know, he's so de- he's so defining in his little terms of football aspects. And 
you know, that's stuff that the average football fan, the average writer likes because, you know, we we're, we can be learning that stuff. We need to learn it. And uh, to have a head coach already preach that stuff is, is exciting. You know, it is exciting for sure. Uh, but, again, you know, the guy's really unproven. Uh, he's been in football all his life. Was why He was with Kansas City to start off, really, his uh, positional coaching career with Todd Haley. So he's seen what failure looks like there. Mm-hmm. He's seen what failure <laughs> looks like in uh, Mike McCoy with San Diego at the time when it was San Diego Chargers. Yeah. But he's been with Frank Wright back when Frank Wright was offensive coordinator of the Chargers. And him and Phil Rivers formed this this friendship this, that, you know, is inspiring. You hear Phil Rivers talk about Nick Sirianni. You're like, wow, like, this if this guy, this quarterback, uh, with all the accolades that he has – uh, refers to this coach, this young coach, as the way he does. You know, you 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 really get hyped. You hear that stuff and you get hyped. So, um, really, just to, to give your listeners some background, the guy. I'm not going to say he's going to come into Philadelphia and be a success right off the bat. I think he's going to need at least three years of solid sit back, see how this team forms mm-hmm. uh, with this retooling, rebuilding that they're going through with all the draft capital that they have. Uh, because if, it, if Jalen Hurts is the answer, then they're going to use those picks to build around him. So this is going to take a, a couple years to really uh, boost this to where it's going to be. But it, it, give him a couple years and we'll see where he's at. But in a world where Cliff Kingsbury's and Sean McVay's and uh, Matt LaFleur's and all these offensive young guys come out of nowhere, and Kyle Shanahan at one time when he was the young offensive guru before all of this, uh, there could be – an undercover guy that comes up and be the next guy. Cause you know, nobody thought Sean McVay would be the coach that he was when he was the offensive coordinator of the Washington Redskins at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, he, when he went to Los Angeles and he started coaching right off the bat, he, he, he started proving to everybody he was a high commodity. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Nick Sirianni will be that, but the way that he talks about the game makes you, it, he lives your breeze and dies football. I know you hear that probably about every coach, but <laughs> uh, this guy really does for real. And he might end up being one of those next offensive gurus or the young offensive. Cause he always has to be that young offensive, good looking Italian coach uh, to, get the, <laughs> to, to get the fame and glory in the NFL. Uh, he might be next. He may be next. We'll see. It, it all depends what happens with Jalen hurts. If he turns Jalen hurts into a quality starter, or he makes the Eagles a contender. Uh, look out. This might guy, but this might be the next guy we talk about. I mean, uh, not biased here at all, but I'm definitely supportive of a you know a good-looking Italian coach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he's uh, very unproven because I mean, the whole the huge thing against him, where I think you know Eagles fans have to worry a little bit, and you know then a fellow probably looks at the Eagles and thinks they're not that serious, is that he's never called plays. Yeah, and uh, his offensive coordinator was only calling 50% of the plays in an offense that you. We're like, what the heck are they doing last year a couple of times? Mm-hmm. And Sade Seichin, when he came from Anthony Lynn's Los Angeles Chargers offense, where they always did something where you're like, what are they doing? Uh, they were never on the same page. So it, these, these these guys are going to be so raw uh, this year in terms of play calling and how to handle a game. It, it, it's going to have some bumps. It's definitely going to have mm-hmm. some bumps. But I don't think it's going to tell the whole story of Nick Sirianni's tenure in Philadelphia. I think uh, after year three, we'll really see what he's going to become. But uh, – yeah, it's it's at least a three year picture for them. Yeah, that's what it's what it sounds like. I mean, they're they're kind of in that rebuild uh, mode right now. Um, they're just not set at so many key positions, and, and that's, that's what, the problem. That's what makes it difficult for any new coach, especially a, a young coach, one who's relatively unproven. 
Uh, just to call back to the, the introductory press conference real quick. Uh, have you watched the show Ted Lasso at all? Yeah. <laughs> it, that reminded me exactly yes. of the introductory press, press conference in Ted Lasso, the way you described it. It is it, exactly like that, too. Exactly like it, to a T. <laughs> Oh man, um, let's let's get into the draft for the Eagles. Um, you know, very exciting round one. They get Devontae Smith. Finally, they take a, another wide receiver, another skill position player. Uh, besides that, what are the other exciting or you know key guys that you think are going to you know step up and be a productive member of the Eagles team this year? Man, Landon Dickerson. I mean, it's not going to be this year, but that's a long term. He's going to be their long-term center after Jason Kelsey probably retires after this season. Uh, Landon Dickerson is going to be a monumental household offensive uh, interior lineman's name in for years to come. I know the health records uh, scare you a little bit, but this guy is uh, as dominant as any center in the NFL, uh, even as a rookie coming out into it. Uh, he reminds me so much of, uh, you'll know him pretty well, Alex Mack. Oh, yeah. That's where I had to compare Landon Dickerson to when he was coming out of the draft. So, uh, I, I, I'm excited about hit that pick. And, you know, Milton Williams as well has grown on me a lot, the third-round pick. Uh, Fletcher Cox, his lifespan with the team is if this if the next two years don't go the Eagles' way, uh, they're going to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. So Milton Williams potentially is your Fletcher Cox replacement that they're going to groom uh, to be the heir apparent. And, you know, his combine measurements were similar to that of Aaron Donald, which – that sentence alone should excite you, which not saying Mill Williams will be Aaron Donald, because if he was, he would have been the first pick of this draft. <laughs> uh, the Jaguars would have won Gardner Mishu just fine and dealt with the next Aaron Donald. But th- this guy is going to be a disruptor in the interior. And not that he reminded me of Aaron Donald per se, but, you know, there was a time and a place where nobody thought Geno Atkins could make it in this league with his size. Mm-hmm. And he ended up being one of the most dominant defensive linemen in all football, and I believe he was a third-round pick, if I'm not mistaken, and, you know, Milton Williams was as well. So uh, I do believe Milton Williams will be a contributor for this team. He might end up, you know, either pushing Javon Hargrave off the team after uh, a so-so season after being a big free agent acquisition or, you know, be Fletcher Cox's future replacement. Uh, But from from, from some other picks, you know, Zach McPherson has a great opportunity to be the future nickel of this team. I don't believe he's going to be an outside corner on this team. I believe he's going to be their nickel of the future, which he's, his defensive coordinator was the guy who played a huge role in developing Kenny Moore in Indianapolis, the nickel corner who was the best nickel corner in the NFL, in my opinion. So that's a huge plus for him. Uh, but the rest of this class is looking like a guys that are going to be depth chart guys, to be honest with you. But uh, the first four picks that they have go the way that they expect and go the way that I'm, I'm talking to you right now about. Uh, that's a monumental draft class that you build a foundation on. Uh, going forward, whether it's Jalen Hurts a quarterback or not, uh, you have so many question marks on this team. Uh, nickel corner, defensive tackle, wide receiver, and center. Uh, all key positions on this team that really propelled this team to win a Super Bowl uh, the way that they played when they did win the Super Bowl, that they're going to need to continue going forward. Uh, they might have answers at those positions now with the guys that they drafted. So that would be huge if that ends up working out that way. So those those first four, I know it's that's a boring answer because uh, there are some guys I do like. I mean, Jacoby Stevens might be a wildcard player, a hybrid player uh, that could fit for this team, the linebacker safety out of LSU. Uh, mm-hmm. They also drafted Patrick Johnson out of Tulane, who I liked as well. I think he's going to have a role on this team because there's going to be a lot of uh, – you know, this team's going to look – the Eagles defense is going to look like how Minnesota runs their defense, how Mike Zimmer runs his system. Yeah. That's where Jonathan Gannon originated from. 
so it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of room for these stand-up hybrid linebacker guys to rush the passer in. So uh, there's a chance those guys can make an impact. But uh, other than that, the first four rounds, I thought the Eagles actually did pretty dang well in. Yeah, and you it, and once you get past round four, you just hope uh, a couple of the guys become you know contributors in some capacity. Right, even I mean, if they're death char guys. Yeah, yeah, that's even good if they're death char guys. That's what they need. I mean, you know, you death really matters in the game of football, especially all the injuries. Yeah, I'm I mean, sorry about my dog. Oh, oh, you're good. I have two that are probably going to bark sometime soon, anyway. So, <laughs> uh, but you guys had five picks, you know, in in the in the last three rounds. If let's say two of those guys become, you know, regular contributors, another guy's like some sort of special teams role player, and that that's fantastic. And the Eagles would take that because you know a lot of their drafts the last couple of years they don't have a single player left on most of them. You know, the only player left from the 2016 class. Yeah, and you should know this because the Browns and the Eagles had the huge trade then. Mm-hmm. But the only player left in that class is Isaac, Isaac Sayamalu, mm-hmm. not Carson Wentz. So, I mean, the Eagles haven't been drafting well as of late. So, they'll, they'll take a draft where they can get guys even the back ends of the round to be death players. I mean, that's what you need sometimes. I mean, you guys did, you know, do a lot of maneuvering and trades and stuff. So, you, you didn't have necessarily a whole bunch of higher up draft picks and you guys did have some success so that also didn't help either with the draft position i will say they would have drafted patrick Sertain or jc horn instead of Devontae smith if given the opportunity to do so once those guys went off the board they felt the need to trade up and land a guy instead of sitting back and letting uh the board shake out because they were losing the the top guys that they wanted Devontae smith was probably plan a c yeah okay a was Patrick Sertain, A B was J C Horn. Mm-hmm. So once those two guys went off the board, the, the way they did, they went back to back. Carolina took J C Horn at eight, and Broncos took Sertain at nine. And then the Eagles were like, "Well, we're not going to just let Devontae Smith fall to the Giants' lap. Mm-hmm. That's their third player on our board." So they traded up and they got him. So uh, if they, if the draft would have went their way, it wouldn't even have been Devontae Smith. Though it would have been Patrick Sertain. And that would have been an answer for the long-term cornerback position because, you know, Darius Slay's probably playing his last season in Philadelphia. So uh, we'll see how the rest of it goes because they still need a lot of positions. But uh, it's a good thing to have three first-round picks next year if, if Jalen Hurts works out because they still have a lot of question marks. But Devontae Smith's going to be great for them. I mean, that's they needed a, a true wide receiver one, and that's what he's going to be for them. So uh, by no stretch of the matter is, is it a bad thing that they didn't get Sertain or Horn because they got the next best thing in Smith. But... Oh, that would have been their number one options. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and looking back at the past couple of years for the the Eagles, that was one of the big criticisms of the team is they didn't have anyone for you know Wentz to throw to, or the, the people that they did. It was like, who the heck is this guy? Like, I I never heard of Travis Travis Fulgham before last year, and then all of a sudden he was a thing for a minute. I'm like, okay, <laughs> right. And then I mean, you know, they like Jalen Rager a lot. He he wasn't what they expected him to be but he you know he was also really banged up and didn't have the rookie year that i mean the rookie offseason that you would need as a rookie wide receiver especially in a doug pearson offense where you're just asking to do a bunch of go routes i mean mm-hmm. the, the offense failed joe and rager and the coaching failed joe and rager as much as joe and rager failed the eagles expectations yeah so i think it was a little bit of both plus injuries he also dealt with injuries but again you know, if they had to do it over again, I, I would be shocked if they didn't take Justin Jefferson. I would be surprised. You know, I, yeah. I, I do like Joe Nager a lot, and I'm probably one of his biggest fans. But uh, at the end of the day, if they had to go back, they probably would do that. 
that's and that's a huge reason why they took Devontae Smith because instead of saying how does Jalen Rager and Devontae Smith work together, they said no, 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 take the sure thing instead mm-hmm. of letting the what ifs go like they did last time this past draft. So uh, I do think Jalen Rager will be a productive player for this team. I think Nick Sirianni will fix him mm-hmm. uh, and get him into a position where he contributes a little bit better. Uh, but you know, because I think a lot of people would look at the Eagles pick and then said why two speed guys like. You know, it doesn't really make sense how do how do Rager and Smith complement each other, but the Eagles, you know, don't care about that question. They uh-huh. they said we need to get the sure thing finally because uh, not taking the sure thing like the DK Metcalf, uh, Terry McLaurin, uh, Justin Jefferson, so on and so forth has uh-huh. screwed them so many times where they finally just said enough. We need to take the sure thing, and why not take the guy who won the Heisman Trophy as a wide receiver? Yeah, I know exactly how that game feels because uh, I played that game with every one of my Browns friends for about twenty years. Um, yeah, <laughs> with the well, exception I mean, of like the Browns are the Browns are no joke now. Yeah, yeah, uh, but it, it it took a while for them to figure some stuff out. Uh, but let's let's talk about the Eagles' defense real quick. If there was a, uh, I don't I don't want to say Achilles' heel, but if there was a way that a team would game plan to beat the Eagles defense, what would they do? To beat the Eagles defense, all they need to do is see if Jonathan Gannon keeps Darius Slay on one side of the ball. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the Eagles are going to look a little bit different this year. They're going to have, they signed Anthony Harris this offseason, uh, and people were wondering, well, what does that mean for Roddy McLeod? Like, what does what, what Roddy McLeod do here? Uh, Ronnie McLeod and Anthony Harris are going to play together in a cover two type thing where they're both over the top of safeties. So the corners are going to get way more support than they would in June and excuse me, and uh, Jim Schwartz's defense where they were all just on islands. Mm-hmm. So no matter what, the cornerback plays going to improve, especially for Darius Slay this year. But given the inexperience and you know just to be flat out honest, lack of talent the Eagles have at the rest of the quarterback positions, uh, they're going to all you have to do is snap the ball quick throw a quick pass, render their pass rush useless when you get the ball away quick enough mm-hmm. and pick on the cornerback two in the slot corner. Because uh, those guys are going to be, either if, even if they assign Steven Nelson, I don't think Steven Nelson is a godsend. Uh, Steven Nelson worked in Pittsburgh. He didn't work in Kansas City. It's not a guarantee that he works in Philadelphia. So, even if they end up signing him, uh, that's still I would still pick on that side of the ball. And if you pick on that side, or even if Darius Slay has to follow your top wide receiver, your other one's going to eat, especially in this league where uh, Washington football team has Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin. You know, the Cowboys have CeeDee Lamb and Mari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and then the Giants just got Kenny Galladay, uh, Darius Tooney, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard. Like, the, this is a secondary that's not equipped to handle what they're going to be thrown at them in the division and in the NFC, to be honest with you. The NFC is stacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, top top to bottom from the uh, with wide receiver corps and really solid wide receiver corps at that. So uh, the Eagles aren't the Eagles secondary is just really going to be their Achilles heel once again. Johnny DeGannon will improve it, I believe, more so than Jim Schwartz mm-hmm. because Jim Schwartz is not a coverage friendly defensive co- uh, coordinator, whereas Jonathan Gannon is. But it's it's just a lack of talent. They just don't have enough talent there. And you know Darius Slay is good, but he's not great anymore. Yeah, and. I believe this is his last season in Philadelphia as well, but given what his cap hits are in the next couple of years. So he's beatable. And if your top corner is beatable and your other corners aren't good enough, you're still going to have a leaky secondary. And I still think it's going to be an issue. 
Yeah, that, that's never good when you have a, as you described it, a leaky secondary. Uh, can always well, be problematic. The, I mean, as being a Browns fan, I'm sure we can relate to that on that on a certain level. But now, oh yeah, I mean, you got the Greg Newsom, Denzel Ward, uh, John Johnson, who I was really high on this offseason. If mm-hmm. it wasn't for Anthony Harris, that's that's the guy I was all in on for the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles actually were in on him too. It was between the Browns and the Eagles. So uh, kudos to you guys for ending up paying him more than what the Eagles could even muster up. Anyway, because he's going to be worth every penny. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> that's he. That was the only thing that's holding the Browns back, and they they figured it out. And you know, Andrew Barry came from the Eagles, mm-hmm. so it would be nice if Andrew Barry can call up Howie Roseman and give him some secrets of what how he's doing. So, because uh, <laughs> I think Greg Newsom is also going to be a great pick as well. Yeah, I'm I'm very uh, excited uh, about the uh, <laughs> the upcoming season. I I have agreed with most of their moves that they've done. I've not agreed with all of them, but uh, one move I was very ecstatic about was signing former Eagle Malik Jackson. What can yes. you tell me about Malik Jackson and what he's going to uh, provide the Browns? Is he someone that could actually step in and start, or is he someone that's going to be better coming in uh, with someone else starting in more of a rotational type of role? At this point in his career, he's definitely a more rotational type of role. I mean, injuries have piled up on him uh, big time, but he's still a presence as an interior rusher. You have to respect him as an interior rusher still. I think he's going to fit the Browns' defense a little bit better also than he did fit the Eagles. Uh, so I think, you know, the question is, what does he have left in the tank? Because mm-hmm. the last – I mean, even with – before he went to the – before he came to the Eagles, he was benched his last season in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. So, yes, this is a rotational basis type of guy. Uh, but you're also looking at a defensive line that has Miles Garrett on it and Javadian Clowney now, whereas the Eagles head rushers were – Brandon Graham, Jerry Barnett, and Josh Sweat. So, advantage Browns. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to get a, a more productive Malik Jackson if he stays healthy than the Eagles got. So, uh, the Eagles really only barely even got a glimpse of what they thought he was. Uh, they knew immediately after he got hurt week one, uh, the first year that they signed him, that they needed to address their position again. They double-dipped and went Javon Hargrave on a huge deal the following offseason, uh, which put Malik Jackson in the rotation, rotational basis. Still really kind of slowed down, but still showed a lot of interior pass rush dominance. And I still think he could provide that spark off. Even if he's coming off the bench on third downs, mm-hmm. uh, he's going to get after the quarterback and provide pressure and uh, make Miles Garrett and Javadian Clowney's jobs a lot easier. So, uh, you know, I if I had to pick who I'd rather have uh, to put myself in a Brown situation, I'd rather have Sheldon Richardson, but I'd rather have, Javidian Clowney, Miles Garrett, and Malik Jackson all together than to have uh, Sheldon Richardson and Miles Garrett together. So I understand the move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was not necessarily the biggest fan of letting Sheldon Richardson go. Uh, I, I don't mind some of the other moves. Uh, just my personal preference, I I would have probably rather had Richardson than Clowney. Uh, I just mm-hmm. I, I find Clowney to be okay, but mostly overhyped. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, feel, I, I feel like yeah. a, a lot of his production has, has been uh, like some cleanup work. It's the fact that he like was very unspectacular in the limited amount of times that we saw last year that's increasingly concerning for me. Right, I'm, I'm definitely out on him as what everybody used to think he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not that player anymore, but he's finally taken a, a, a seat and said, 
I'm not that number one guy anymore. I need to go to a team that has a number one guy, and he did that. Mm-hmm. Finally, he went to the Browns, and he's he's paying, he's going to be robbing the Batman, mm-hmm. uh, Miles Garrett. So I think the situation is going to be completely different because it's so much better for him. Yeah. Uh, finally, accepting that that he's not the guy because he's not a good pass rusher. That's no. He's he's a good all, he's a good all around defensive end, but he's not a good pass rusher. Uh, but I think that's what you guys need help with. To be honest with though, I think uh, his presence versus the run is going to help out a lot. Uh, but again. Like I said, I mean, if you're going to be Robin, uh, you can't really get a better Robin than Javidian Clowney, though. Uh, you know, the Eagles were always in on Clowney when it was uh, the Seahawks that ended up acquiring him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Eagles weren't that in on him. You see, saw what the Seahawks got him for. They got him for Mingo, um, a draft pick, and something else. So it was really mm-hmm. it's very, very low end trade. So the Eagles weren't that in on him, but because uh, they didn't want to pay that money that he was he was wanting to get. Yeah. So, but we'll but, see. We'll see how he's. We'll see how he goes. Uh, but, uh, money. Uh, I think is he's in a good situation for him. Money is why he signed in Tennessee last year, anyways, because the Browns ran on him last year too, and yep, <laughs> you know, it was money what it came down to, and they said thanks but no thanks. But just, you know, just just as long as people can have an honest conversation about Clowney, I'm fine. It's just you see the the discourse on the internet. It, they're they're still talking about him like he's. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if he ever really had a prime, but the best years of his career, and that's what he's going to be. He's going to be, you know, when he came out of college, he's going to be the, the one year when he was, like, really good. And when the majority of the career, he hasn't done any of that. So, like, can we just have an honest conversation about him? Right. <laughs> that's, no, you're right. You're that, absolutely right. That's mostly what it comes down to. Like, yeah, I'm sure he'll be fine, but I, I don't – you see people have used the phrase bookend defensive ends. I'm like – no, yeah, no, he's like, not that anymore. I'm like, I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, no, he's uh, not that at all. Did, did the Browns get somebody else uh, who's going to be playing opposite Miles Garrett? Did they did they get Javinia Clowney coming out of college then? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, he's not that now. Yeah. Uh, I also wanted to get your uh, opinion, or at least your insight, uh, because the Browns are in a, a very similar situation that the Eagles were a couple years ago when it comes to contract extensions I and mean, we touched on a little mm-hmm. bit earlier with Carson Wentz but Baker Mayfield is eligible for a contract extension and uh, Andrew Berry had the quote saying that uh, the Carson Wentz and Jared Goff extensions were not precautionary tales that's what he said I don't know if he truly believes that my gut says he really doesn't it was just more of a pub- publicity type thing but from your perspective from the way you see it from outside of Cleveland, outside of, you know, Brown's eyes or whatever. How do you think the Browns should handle the situation with Baker? Like as far as do they give him an extension when they do it and relative, you know, salary figures. And you see the issue with paying your quarterback is he's always going to try to get the top of the market value. Uh, especially when you're paying them long term, so you know the Browns are going to get ridiculed when that when that deal is announced or not, because uh, the numbers are going to be ridiculous. He's going to get his money. Uh, the thing is, I, there is you have to be cautious, especially with Baker, because I mean he hasn't you know proven himself per se. But uh, the thing about giving him the long term deal is, look at the nucleus that the Browns have. They have a young head coach who. I don't think you guys have to worry anymore. I think this is the guy. I think Kevin Stavansky is going to be the guy. Same. <laughs> Should have been the guy before Freddie Kitchens was the guy. 
so I think they I think they got it right. Yeah. Another guy that they got right, Andrew Barry. You, you know, Andrew Barry is continuing to prove himself that he is in the right position. He is the right guy for the job. Uh, very good evaluator of talent. I mm-hmm. think he'll continue to even with the limitations he's going to have once this Baker deal happens on the cap. I think he's a guy that will lean on the draft uh, better than his counterpart Harry Roseman did and be able to override the team with ample talent through the draft that provides because they're going to have holes soon. I mean, they're going to have to make a decision on Odell soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that that's probably going to be next offseason where they probably move on from him mm-hmm. or Landry. I mean, it's going to be something like that along those lines because they're going to have to pay Baker. But at the end of the day, uh, I would wait until next offseason because I would want to see what how he can elevate the team around him this year mm-hmm. uh, on his own because he's he's going to have to shoot, show that before you give him this huge deal. Uh, I believe he will be able to do so, but you also have to have that proof because when the Eagles ended up paying Carson Wentz, they weren't able to provide him with the skill players he per se needed because they didn't have the money they could do so. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't a thing. That wasn't going to happen. Uh, the Browns are going to be in a similar territory because their top players, uh, paid players are going to be Miles Garrett. You can't get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Huge. I mean, the best player on defense. Uh, Denzel Ward, you know, that's your top corner. Uh, John Johnson's highly paid now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when Jedrick Wills comes time to pay Jedrick Wills, he's going to be paid top left tackle money. So those are your key positions on your team that you have all locked up. The rest is going to be guys, mm-hmm. like guys that you develop, that, that the Browns draft, that go through the years of uh, staying on their rookie salaries. Because uh, that's, how, that's how the count's going to work. That's how it's going to work when they lock up all these guys, uh, mm-hmm. especially Baker's deal. So uh, we'll see. It's always buyer beware when you're extending your quarterback, especially yeah. when uh, the quarterback hasn't played good football day in and day out. But uh, when you're given an extension to a player, you're thinking, well, what do you, what do I think he can bring me the next five years or so? And when mm-hmm. you throw in Andrew Berry, Kevin Stefanski, and that the top positions are filled with young talent that will last several seasons uh, on the payroll and uh, talent-wise – yeah, the Browns are in a good position to pay Baker because of all that. So I, I agree with you. I'm waiting a year. I, I'm, you know, co-host Jordan also in the same camp of waiting a year. We just need to see more, uh, you know, more data because what we have so far right. is a, a year and a half of of really bad football, a year and a half of really good, and none of it was linear. It was all kind of mixed together, and we're not really sure. You know, he's still a, a fairly inconsistent quarterback, even though he had some good plays. And I don't know how much of the Browns you watched last year, but it was very apparent that a lot of the success he had was because Stefanski was putting him in the right position and scripting plays in a perfect manner that all Baker had to do was just simply execute what he was told to do. And so, which, I mean, yeah, that's the job. But, you know, you can tell a lot of the the success was because of Stefanski and not necessarily Baker. And we would prefer to see Baker you know, show that he is the one responsible for the success, not necessarily a play that's been designed for him. Right. You know what I mean? Well, that's why Jared, yeah, that's why Jared Goff's in Detroit right now and Matthew Stafford's in Los mm-hmm. Angeles because Sean McVay was fed up with doing that for a quarterback every day in and day out. They wanted mm-hmm. the quarterback to finally elevate the offense on his own. Uh, yeah. If Baker can't prove to do that, they will move. Yeah, I don't think, I think Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski are the type that would do the same thing as, Less Nate, Les Nate, and 
uh, Sean McVay just did. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that would be an issue, even if you paid, because they paid Jared Goff, and the, yeah. look what just happened. I mean, in, in, the, in the NFL, uh, I don't want to say cap space is a myth, but salary cap is manageable, even if it's negative. It, it can so, be played uh, with. Yeah, it could be played with no matter. It could be manipulated easily. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't think that would, you know, those what if scenarios will always mm. be in the back of. Even if I mean, there's those what if scenarios can happen with Miles Garrett if he ends up getting injured and never returns to form. So yeah. like, it, it can happen on any player. Uh, but mm. I don't think I don't think that would preclude them from paying Baker per se. But uh, it, I mean, you know, two three years in, they finally decide. You know, this is all Kevin's show, and you're just being the actor for it. Uh, I would, I would not be. Andrew Barry is, is an aggressive. I just from his time in Philadelphia, he's aggressive. He knows when it's time to make a move, and he won't be taken advantage of. So, mm-hmm. uh, when it, if if they have to get a new quarterback in there uh, that they find as an upgrade, and they think the team around, they think the team is like in Los Angeles's form, mm-hmm. they'll do so. I mean, yeah. they'll do it. They'll pull the trigger. So uh, either way, even if he gets paid or not, it's not long term security because his his head his head coach and his and his uh, GM are guys who. Prefer who expect excellence and will put you in position to achieve excellence. And if you're not doing so day in and day out, uh, they will move on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you know, th- this is a, something that I've, I've said many times on Twitter, much to the uh, dismay of many Browns fans out there, but you know, a lot of people are trying to make the argument of setting the quarterback market for guys like Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen and paying Baker first. But in my opinion, I don't think his salary should be anything close to theirs because when you look at what those two quarterbacks do and the way those offenses run, they're what drives their offense. And I've said Baker's just a passenger of what the Browns do. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Where are you at on that? No, I agree for sure. I think it's. I think Baker's capable of being more than that, though. I was really high on Baker coming out. Uh, I actually had him as quarterback one. And I had mm-hmm. Lamar as quarterback two. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I had to go back now, I probably would reverse them. But I think Baker is capable of elevating the team around him and being a guy that, you know, where I said Carson Wentz wasn't, mm-hmm. where I thought he could be, uh, where Carson can bull his team to victory, I, he can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Baker can. I think he can put his team in position. I think he can go to toe-to-toe with a patch of Mahomes if needed. So mm-hmm. uh, I just think consistency is what his, is his biggest enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh when he was at Texas Tech, there was nothing consistent there. Mm-hmm. And that's why he had to get out. And then he goes to Oklahoma and he has Lincoln Riley. And everything Lincoln Riley does for him is consistent. When he goes to uh, Cleveland, right off the bat, it's Hugh Jackson. And that wasn't consistent because <laughs> you guys dumped him for Freddie, for Freddie Kitchens. And then they get Freddie Kitchens a short leash. And that wasn't consistent. And his GM is John Dorsey at the time. So he's already gone through so many different things already where you're going to get an erratic baker when things around him aren't mm-hmm. set in stone. And now that everything is set and so inconsistent, I think it will evolve his play a little bit more. I think he will get a better Baker. I, I think we haven't seen the best from him yet. Uh, and I think he's capable of being better. I think he is capable of putting the team on his shoulders. Uh, but we just have to – he has to be comfortable. And until he's comfortable, that's when you're going to see that, which I think I think we will see comfortable with Baker this year, though. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're all, we're all rooting for it. We're all rooting for a comfortable. Yeah. We all want him to succeed. You know, it's just – the, the one thing is that, always come back to, is just show me a little more consistency. I'll even take a, yeah. a little less of a, a high if you just give me a general consistent baseline that I can say week in, week out, I can at least at a minimum expect this. Because sometimes yeah. you yeah. just see and it's just, oh, God, this is bad. <laughs> 
Or but other times, like, oh my god, he's having an awesome game. <laughs> it's just, you, right. you, you look for that general consistency from time to time, and sometimes he's locked in, and sometimes he's throwing behind guys. And if, that, if he can't play out of structure and perform better out of structure, then he's not the guy for the Browns, just like Carson was the guy for the Eagles because he couldn't play out of structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, yeah. I mean, not. Uh, I guess you could argue Patrick Mahomes because he's never really had a solid offensive line until this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those guys, the top quarterbacks in the league, I'm not just going to name every guy, but the top quarterbacks in this league play at their levels out of structure, and yeah. that's what makes them what they are. Uh, Baker has to prove he can do so. Mm-hmm. I think the consistency can give him an opportunity to do so because at some point during the, I mean, the Browns wide receivers always end up being guys. Instead of being Odell and Jarvis, it ends up being some guy like Donovan uh, People Jones made an impact last year. Nobody saw mm-hmm. that coming. Uh, the year before was um, who's it's just escaping my name. I'm escaping the name. Uh, there was uh, Rashard Higgins. There was oh, Rashard also... Higgins. Rashard Higgins. That's what I'm thinking of. Rashard Higgins. Yeah, he stepped up. Uh, nobody saw that coming. So, you know, Baker is elevating players around him, skill at least when he needs to, mm-hmm. and that's that's the sign that I didn't see so much from Carson where I am seeing that from Baker. That's why probably why I'm a little bit more confident that you're going to get more out of him than he can, uh, that he can make the team better around him than mm-hmm. per se Carson Wentz could, which is crazy to say that now. I think Eagles fans would be, I mean, even Colts fans probably would disagree, but it's the truth. Uh, I haven't seen Carson Wentz elevate players around him to the point that they're, I'm talking about the no-name players, not the guys mm-hmm. that are proven. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I see Baker do that, though. Yeah. So that's a that's a sign you want to see from a franchise quarterback. And I, you have the keys right there. Uh, we'll just see. It has to be consistent. You're right. But if, if, if he does it this year, you guys got your guy. Finally. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's all we're, we're rooting for. You know, we're all rooting for him to, you know, to step up, to be the guy, be consistent, elevate other players. Uh, to, to, to wrap things up here, um, going back to the Eagles – I know they're going to be not necessarily a good team. Where do you think they're going to project in the NFC East this this year? Third, second place team. Uh, I think they can do better than their expectations are. But if they win seven to eight games, I think that's something they should hang their hat on because they were a four-win team before. Mm -hmm. And given this cluster, I don't want to use bad language, but given this cluster fuck of an (laughs) offseason... Seven, seven to eight wins is a is a something to hang your hat on for yeah. sure, uh, but they just don't have the talent to be a playoff team. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they may, if they may, if they're a wild card team, they exceeded expectations, and you should get Nick Sirianni, uh, coach of the year, right off the bat because mm-hmm. that's insane. because yeah. uh, that's how far they are with talent, and their top talent on this team is really unproven. Uh, Devontae Smith is going to be wide receiver one, unproven. Uh, their left tackle. Jordan Mulata or Andre Dillard, whoever that's going to be, still unproven. That's a huge position on this team. Uh, corner, you know, Darius Slay is going to get back to form. How's the pass rush going to hold up? Because Brandon Graham's getting older. Fletcher Cox getting older. Like, there's a lot of question marks with this team. Uh, so seven to eight wins is a huge thing to have, hold their hat on. And then they can make a – see what adjustments they need to make going forward after that mm-hmm. uh, and make that leap like they did in 2016, 2017 when they won the Super Bowl. Because they won seven – they won seven and nine the year they won before – they won the Super Bowl, so uh, seven to eight wins the first year of Mr. Yanni Center is not the end of the world. It's probably a, a great stepping stone in the right direction, actually. So 
Uh, I'd be shocked if they finish higher than second place in the East. So, who do you have winning the NFC East? Do you Dallas, uh, New York, Washington? Uh, I really think it's going to be Washington again, which would be crazy because they'd be the first team since the Eagles in 2004 to win the NFC East back-to-back years. But uh, they went toe-to-toe with the Super Bowl champions with Taylor Heineke at quarterback. Like, Ryan Fitzpatrick has to just go in there and be Ryan Fitzpatrick, and they can win. Mm-hmm. With just him playing like Ryan Fitzpatrick, how Ryan Fitzpatrick plays. Uh, Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas, that's a great trio right there of receivers to work with. And then they have a great running game. I mean, Antonio Gibson's going to be a stellar running back in this league for years to come. Their offensive line is crap. That's that's going to be their Achilles heel. That's going to be Ryan, Patrick's, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's worst nightmare. But their defense is just too good. Uh, their front seven is incredible. They added William Jackson this offseason, who's going to be a great corner for them. They already had Kendall Fuller. They have Jimmy Moreland, who's a great slot corner. They got great safeties. I mean, it, it, it's going to be tough to beat them. And, you know, Dallas has the offense to beat them, but they, are, they don't have the defense to keep up with Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and Antonio Gibson. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I, if I had to say how the division pans out today, I think it's going to be Washington football team first. Second Dallas, third Eagles, and fourth Giants because I'm just not sold on Daniel Jones at all. I think he's kind of bad. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on Dan- Daniel Jones. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not the biggest Daniel Jones guy. <laughs> nah, I just, there's just nothing there that, that he looks like Mike Glennon playing quarterback, which is funny because Mike Glennon's his backup now. But <laughs> he, he, there's nothing that there's nothing there with him that th- makes you think that the Giants should win more than six games with him as starter. Yeah, the, the I don't think the Giants are necessarily a, a good team, and you know whatever they get out of Saquon Barkley, you know coming off that injury, that's also going to be a huge factor for them too. Yeah, they have a great they have a great defense, but they're off, if their offense doesn't put like any points on the board, then that's what's the point? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so uh, I think that's going to do it for us here today. I would like to thank everyone who listened to this episode. Uh, the podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, SoundCloud, both websites, thisisbelieveone.com and Real Browns fans. Uh, Connor, would you have anything to plug for yourself? Yeah, you guys can sh- uh, if you like what you hear, saw here, I do write for football and NFL and Eagles for Sports Illustrated, si.com slash NFL slash Eagles for all my articles there. And then uh, do the Eagles on both the podcasts. Uh, you can listen wherever you get their pot. Uh, the dogs are going to say goodbye real quick. <laughs> but you can listen to Eagles Unfiltered wherever you get your podcasts, uh, even on Twitch and, and YouTube. Just search Eagles Unfiltered. All right. Uh, I'd like to say thanks for coming on and, you know, uh, let you go do whatever you have to do for the rest of the evening. But thank you for coming on this episode. Of course, man. Thank you so much for having me on.